I want to start today with a bold statement uh, from author, pastor, uh, Maxie Dunham. Uh, some of you will remember this from last Sunday, and it's this. There are some things God either cannot or will not do until and unless people pray. I've been thinking about this all week, and kind of to the point where I've got it just committed to memory, just kind of planted there in my head. There are some things God either cannot or will not do until and unless people pray. Uh, and so I, it's encouraged me to, to pray more boldly and to, to, to jump into this and to think that God is enthusiastic about our prayers. God has chosen to let your prayers and my prayers be part of the flow of grace into this world. Isn't that amazing? And it's not that God is powerless without our prayers, but God has accepted some level uh, of self-imposed limitation that requires us to be a part of the process. A couple days ago, I rewrote Maxie Dunham's statement in a more positive direction. So here's my take on it. There are many things God wants to do and will do when people pray. Uh, Maxie Denham also says, God needs you. And that's kind of surprising because we always think, well, I need God. And of course we do. We need God every day. But the other side is also true. God needs you because God chooses to work through people, both in our actions and in our prayers. So I'm going to ask you if you'll say this statement with me, okay? There are many things God wants to do and will do when people pray. Now, of course, I don't have a lock on what all those things are. I know that my will and God's will are not totally in sync, but the, the more I grow in faith and grow in righteousness and grow in knowledge, the closer I get to understanding God's will and become more effective uh, in my praying. So, for example, let's say that you're a high school student uh, going on a mission on our mission trip to Costa Rica this summer. Uh, you helped with the fundraisers, and uh, the church gave you a scholarship, and you sent out 20 uh, letters to family and friends asking for mission support for the trip. And so you've got most of what you need, but it's going to also it's going to take a lot of money, and you're not there yet. So you pray, Lord. I committed to going on this trip because I believe that you really wanted me to go, and I still believe that. I'm $500 short. Please, provide, come through, give me what I need. Now, if I were you, I would take that prayer very seriously. And I would pray it persistently. Because there are many things God wants to do and will do when people pray. You know, it could happen like this. Uh, your mom says, hey, uh, I, I found out that uh, I'm going to get $100 more in tax refund than I was counting on. I wanted to add it to your trip. Thank you, mom. And you keep praying. You, you remember you sent out those 20 uh, support letters, but then you realize, oh, I didn't send it to my Uncle Bob in Colorado, and maybe the reason you didn't send it to him because he's not a Christian, he's not really into church and any of this mission kind of stuff, but you say, oh, well, I'll take a chance and send him a letter, and he replies with 50 bucks. Thank you, Uncle Bob. 
and you keep praying. And then Polly, our student ministry director, uh, says, you know, someone just came to me and handed me $200 and said, I'd like this to go to help a student who's still trying to raise money to go on the trip. Polly says, I just added it to your account. And you keep praying. And then your neighbor stops by and says, hey, I'll pay you $150 to help me paint my porch. And you say, I'm in. You see, God answers prayers in all kinds of ways. Sometimes it'll take your initiative. Sometimes it'll take somebody else's initiative. Many times you'll have to do your part, and other times you're not going to have to do anything. God's just going to lay it in your lap. There are many things God wants to do and will do when people pray. And I've got this statement too, kind of a, the theme portion of, the, uh, of this portion of the sermon. The goal is to let prayer become your life and your life become a prayer all in the name of Jesus. Will you say that with me? The goal is to let prayer become your life and your life become a prayer all in the name of Jesus. That means we have to go beyond what the normal thinking is about what a Christian is. What is a Christian? Well, if you're a demographer, that is someone who takes care of population statistics, uh, a Christian might be anyone who is affiliated with the Christian faith at some level. If you celebrate Christmas instead of Hanukkah or Ramadan, then you get counted as a Christian. For some, uh, being a Christian means following the golden rule. I, yeah, I try to do unto others as you would have them do to you. For others, a Christian is someone who stands up for the oppressed and, and the excluded. For others, a Christian is anybody who's been baptized. And for others, a Christian is someone who has prayed a certain prayer to get into heaven. Now, all of these definitions have some truth, but individually they're inadequate. Because being a Christian goes much deeper than that. It's more radical. The scriptures tell us it's about a relationship with Christ where we are in Christ and Christ is in us. John 14, verse 20, Jesus tells his disciples, you are in me and I am in you. Jesus invites you to be a Christ in person. Please open your Bibles with me to... Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians, uh, chapter 1, verse 27. If you brought your own Bible to church this morning, woohoo, way to go for you. And, uh, but we also have plenty in the, in the pews, and if we run short, you can always look on with somebody else. You can find it on page 1183. And by the way, if you don't own a Bible of your own, then that pew Bible in your hand take it home. We'd love for you to have it. You'll have a Bible to read at home and, and you can keep it forever, okay? Uh, by the way, uh, the recipients of this letter uh, live in the town of Colossae, which is in southern Asia Minor, where the country of Turkey is now, and Paul has never met these Christians yet. The gospel of Jesus was brought to them by Paul's friend Epaphras. So anyway, then Epaphras went to uh, see Paul in prison. Paul wrote this letter for them, and Epaphras delivered it to them. He probably read it to them as well. Okay, Colossians 1, verse 27. To them, that is, he's talking about to those who belong to Jesus. To them, 
God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, Gentiles being non-Jews, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is, and I want you to, if you would, say the rest of the verse with me, which is, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of all the good things to come in this life. Christ in you, the hope, uh, your hope of heaven in all its glory. Hope comes when you're a Christ-in person. Not just what someone defines as a Christian, but a Christ-in person. What does that mean, to be a Christ-in person? Uh, any of you get your car washed the last few days? Yeah, a number of you. I knew you would. I knew you did. Uh, Maybe your car, you've been kind of sick of it. It's dirty inside and out, and, and you're low on fuel, and the little, little flashy light is bugging you, telling you that you've got to go fill up. And so you go, and you get it washed, and you get it all vacuumed, and you get your tank filled. Isn't that a great feeling? Oh, yeah. And then you get your oil changed, and you're feeling really good. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that's kind of like what Jesus does. He, he washes you, cleans you up with his forgiveness, and he fills you with himself so that you are cleaned and energized. You are a Christ in person. Christ in you. Charles Spurgeon was a 19th century British preacher. And when he gave a sermon on this verse, he noted in his church that there were a lot of fishermen in the crowd. And so uh, he said, you know, it's a fine thing to uh, take your boat out to sea among the great shoals of fish. Fish in the sea are good, but as a fisherman, they do you no good until you get them in your boat. He said that a loaf of bread is a wonderful thing, but if you don't get it in you, you can die of starvation. You may have medicine to alleviate what ails you, but if it stays in the bottle, it's not going to do you any good. You need the medicine in you. He said how wonderful it is to know Christ and to know that He is in you. What does that mean? Christ in you. In what way can Jesus be in you? Well, certainly not in a bodily way. His body is not inside your body. Physically, we know that Jesus is in heaven, uh, reigning at the right hand of God the Father. Uh, someday we will see him bodily, physically, face to face. But Jesus also said that he would be with us to the very end and that he would be in us. And so I ask a question again. In what way is Jesus in us? Well, I've adapted some of uh, Spurgeon's thoughts to describe what this means, a Christ-in person. Christ in you means, first of all, that Jesus is invited by you. And I would encourage you to take notes, jot these down, take them home. Christ in you means Jesus is invited in by you. Uh, Spurgeon said that it's a wonderful thing that Christ would enter a person, but even more wonderful that he would enter by so little an opening as our faith. So little an opening as our faith. He compared Christ to the sun, how many thousands or million times bigger than the earth, and yet even when the blinds are closed, 
light still enters in through that tiny space that's on the edge of the blinds or some tiny little crack between the blinds, and that light will pierce and enter the room. And even if you feel your faith is small, just as the sun can break through a tiny little crack or hole, Jesus will enter your soul through that small amount of trusting grace. And once you begin, soon you're going to want to pull up those blinds and let his full glory shine in. Christ in you is Christ invited in by you. Christ in you means Jesus belongs to you. When, when something uh, is in you, it becomes your possession. Now, the home where, where Trish and I live belongs to us. We say we own it. Uh, that's debatable. The bank thinks they kind of own part of it too. It's all right. But if you ask me if I own the dinner that I ate yesterday at my parents' house, that's a whole different question. I didn't pay for that dinner, but it's definitely mine now. When Jesus is in you, he's yours. He's part of you. The world cannot take him away. Satan cannot take him away. He is in you, integrating himself in you into all that you are. He is yours. Christ in you means Jesus transforms you. In December, I went to the doctor suspecting that I had a sinus infection. But, you know, that's kind of a, not an easy diagnosis to make. I mean, how do they know whether you have a sinus infection or not? It could be uh, allergies, could be reacting to dry air, could be one nasal virus after another. But the doctor took a chance and gave me a prescription for an antibiotic. As it happens, every day that I took that antibiotic, I kept feeling better than the day before. The medicine was in me fighting the bacteria. When Jesus is in you, not only are your past sins forgiven, but he is fighting to cure you of your sin now. He is transforming you, increasing your desire to please him, giving hope for, for your future to come, comforting you with his love. Christ in you means that Jesus transforms you. Christ in you means Jesus reigns in you. I want you to imagine your life as if it's one of those old ancient cities where they had walls all the way around the city and, and you had to come in uh, through the, the wood, large wooden gate, which, and let's say your, your wooden gate is, is drawn up and closed and uh, it's been taken over and is being held hostage by sin, Satan, and selfishness threatening to separate you eternally from God. And whatever you want to say or believe about hell, I think we have to agree that it's this. It's eternal separation from God. But outside the walls, you hear the blast of trumpets. The prince has come to win back the city. He fends off the assault from the, his enemies from behind the walls. The prince and his forces crash through the wooden gate. He rides his horse through the city to the cheers of all of the inhabitants who have now been liberated. And he rides through the city, his enemies flee, confetti flies, and the church bells ring. 
The prince rides up to his castle, taking his rightful place. His flag is raised. He sits on the throne and holds his scepter high. This is Jesus reigning in you. And when Jesus reigns in you, he claims the throne of your life. You bend the knee to him as his loyal subject because he has delivered you and you pledge your allegiance to his kingdom. Christ in you means Jesus reigns in you. And most of all, Christ in you means that Jesus fills you. There's a story of a gardener who had trouble getting flowers to grow uh, in her garden. All she got was weeds. And then one day a friend gave her some seeds and said, try these. So she tossed the seeds out into her garden, into her patch of weeds, shut the gate, and walked away forgetting all about her garden. The next year, she opened the gate and found that her garden was completely filled with this new flower. All of the weeds had been crowded out. All summer, she, en she enjoyed the sight and the smell of these hearty but delicate flowers. In time, the influence of Jesus will fill your life. He will fill your desires. He will fill your imagination. His purpose will fill you with, with purpose. Your life will become all about knowing Him and imitating Him and serving Him and loving Him. And Jesus fills you with Himself by the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist said that Jesus would come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Your body and soul become a sanctuary a temple, a residence of the Holy Spirit filling you with the influence of Jesus. That is Christ in you. Jesus is invited in by you. Jesus belongs to you. Jesus transforms you. Jesus is reigning in you. Jesus fills you. Christ in you is a piece of heaven right here on earth. And he is your promise of heaven to come, your hope of glory. Let him enter, would you? Let him enter you. Let him have you. Do you call yourself a Christian because you go to church? Do you call yourself a Christian because you, you try to follow the golden rule? Do you call yourself a Christian because you are baptized? Or are you a Christ-in person? Do you desire to be a Christ-in person? Today, we have the privilege of uh, celebrating and receiving Holy Communion. Uh, of course, we know that the bread represents Jesus' body. The juice or the fruit of the vine represents Jesus' blood. But this is way more than representation. In this mysterious sacrament, we believe that the presence of Jesus is made real to us. His presence is made real to us. And so today, if you 
want to be a Christ in person, come to Jesus' table. He invites you. And as he invites you, invite him in you. Belong to him, and he will belong to you. Let him transform you. Let him reign in you. Let him fill you. And so I would just like to ask here, who here would say that I either am a Christ in person, not perfectly, but I am a Christ in person, or I want to be a Christ in person? Who here would say, I either am a Christ in person or I want to be a Christ in person? Then I would say, come. Come to his table. Come and receive. Tell him, Lord, I don't want to just be on the edge looking in. I want you to be in me. Live your life in me and through me. This is the glorious mystery that has now been revealed. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in you. Let's pray. Lord, we are your people. We, we fail often. We blow it. <laughs> and yet you don't give up on us. Thank you so much. There are many times when we have uh, failed you, and yet you did not fail us. You continued to love us. And even as sinners, as your enemies, you, you, can keep, you kept loving us. And Jesus, you came and sacrificed your very life for us to bring us home. And so, Jesus, we are amazed at this mystery that you, would, that you would take up residence within us in some way that we can't completely understand, but we trust and believe Christ in me. And so, Lord, as we receive this holy sacrament today, we know that this is bread and this is the fruit of the vine. And yet, Lord, we want to experience the greater mystery here of your presence with us and in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.